Chapter 9, Part 1 of The Making of a Nation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Making of a Nation, The Beginnings of Israel's History by Charles Foster Kent. Chapter 9, Part 1 The Origin and Growth of Law. Moses's work as judge and prophet, Exodus eighteen one through twenty seven, thirty three five through eleven. Parallel references: Historical Bible one, one hundred ninety eight through two hundred three. Principles of Politics, Chapter six, Maine Ancient Law. Jehovah spake to Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. Exodus thirty three eleven, And Moses chose able men out of all Israel, and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And they judged the people at all seasons, the hard cases they brought unto Moses, but every small matter they judged themselves. Exodus eighteen twenty five twenty six. Love is the fulfilling of the law, St. Paul. Now this is the law of the jungle, as old and as true as the sky, and the wolf that shall keep it may prosper, but the wolf that shall break it must die. As the creeper that girdles the tree trunk, the law runneth forward and back, for the strength of the pack is the wolf, and the strength of the wolf is the pack. Now these are the laws of the jungle, and many and mighty are they, but the head and the hoof of the law, and the haunch and the bump is obey, Kipling. Nothing is that errs from law, Tennyson. In vain we call old notions fudge, and bend conventions to our dealing. The Ten Commandments will not budge, and stealing still continues stealing. Lowell, if chosen men could never be alone, in deep mid-silence, open-doored with God, no greatness ever had been dreamed or done. These roots bear up dominion, knowledge, will, these twain are strong, but stronger yet the third, obedience, tis the great taproot that still, knit round the rock of duty, is not stirred. Though heaven loose tempests spend their utmost skill. Lowell, the washers of the shroud. The needs that give rise to law. Kipling's Law of the Jungle, in which he lays down the principles by which the wolf pack secured united action in its hunting, names the rules that apply almost universally to peoples in the savage stage of society. According to the researches of the best anthropologists, Savages live in very loosely organized groups, with no permanent ruler, no regular family law. Each separate group has its totem, its general rules with reference to the marriage relation, to hunting and fishing, to shelter and protection. Practically there are no regular laws. The rules fixed by custom deal primarily with the marriage relation and with the securing of food and shelter. They are largely negative. 
If a member of the group has met with a misfortune in a certain bypath, or from eating certain food or in other ways, in a certain bypath, or from eating certain food or in other ways, by the action of the leader of his group, that path or that food becomes taboo, and from that time on it is forbidden. The rules seem generally to be largely the product of instinct or of experience, without any law-making, and they are enforced almost as instinctively by the common consent of the people. THE GROWTH OF CUSTOMARY LAW As this loosely associated group condenses into the tribe, all the members of which regard themselves as descended from a common ancestor, the organization becomes much more definite under a patriarchal ruler. Soon through his activities these almost instinctive habits, guided by rules, assume the nature of customs that have a sanction, often of religion, practically always of enforcement through the patriarch. No better illustration of the crystallization of customs into laws can be found than that given in Exodus 18, 1-27, Historical Bible 1, 198-202. Moses sat all day long as judge to decide cases for the people until his practical-minded father-in-law, Jethro, seeing the waste of time and energy of the ruler upon whom the welfare of the tribe depended, proposed a wise plan. He advised that, instead of rendering decisions regarding each individual case, Moses should formulate the principles and leave their application to minor judges appointed by himself as rulers over thousands and over hundreds and fifties and tens. In modern days the law-making body is distinct from the judicial. Is there any reason why the judge should not be the maker of the law he interprets? Doubtless many of the customs thus formulated by Moses had come down through the preceding ages from the Babylonian and common Semitic ancestors of the Hebrews. The most striking example of the pre-Mosaic formulation of custom into law under the sanction of the deity is found in the so-called Code of Hammurabi, which comes from about 1900 B.C. At the top of the stele, which records these laws, this enlightened king depicted himself in a bas-relief as receiving them from the sun-god Shamash. Hammurabi looked upon himself as a shepherd chosen by the gods to care for his people. It was his duty to see that the great should not oppress the weak, to counsel the widow and orphan, to render judgment and decide the decisions of the land, and to succor the injured, in order that, by the command of Shamash, the judge supreme of heaven and earth, justice might shine in the land. Many of the principles laid down by him are also found among the laws attributed to Moses, which were afterward codified in the early Decalogues. At times, though rarely among the Hebrews, we may study custom in the making, as when in a new situation a ruler renders a decision which henceforth becomes a law. Thus David, dividing the spoil after his victory over the Amalekites, established a precedent that henceforth had binding force upon his followers, First Samuel 30. But in the majority of such cases the ruler, even when he establishes new precedents, represents himself as simply interpreting ancient custom. 
as society becomes more and more complex and the interests of individuals and classes in society clash besides the judges we find legislatures making new rules in the form of law in the earlier communities practically all law relates to the preservation of life and of the tribe later as the tribe enters the pastoral state private property is established and laws for its care are made still later with the development of a higher civilization and with the individual conscience stimulating men to care for the welfare not merely of their family but of their nation legislation considers primarily the welfare of society yet as one of our great judges has lately explained in practically all stages of society whenever the population becomes numerous and business is so developed that we may recognize different classes in a community legislation has been primarily in the interests of a ruling class often at the expense of the other classes this principle is illustrated by certain of the later jewish ceremonial laws that brought to the priests a large income at the expense of the people many laws in europe and in the united states today have been made clearly in the interests of certain classes in society can you think of some the authority underlying all law back of all laws and rules as the fundamental consideration whether consciously expressed in laws or carried out instinctively lies the welfare of society among the wolves the pack that is best disciplined by the strongest and most successful leader is the one that survives in the earlier savage groups the rules which guided united action grew up as a result of successful experience in securing food and warding off enemies among them the less disciplined the less intelligently directed groups perish through his fear of the unknown stimulated by the terrible vindications of nature's laws when poison and pestilence and storms and floods do their deadly work the savage feels the presence of unknown forces that he calls gods and he thus gives to his rules of action the sanction of divinity and as society develops through the pastoral agricultural and industrial stages into the tribe and state with the development of religion and the growing sense of right and of responsibility to one's fellow men this religious sanction of the law still abides in the earlier days the sanction was due to fear of the vengeance of the gods in later society it is the sense of right and justice and love for one's fellow men springing from the firm belief in the divine creation and direction of the universe and in god's care for men but as this sense of fear or right or justice or love associated with a being felt to be divine is not universal inasmuch as many members of society are found ready to act selfishly taking the law into their own hands force is needed in all stages of society to put the rules and laws into effect with every law as austin says must go a penalty but as society grows more and more humane the sense of obligation of each individual for the welfare of his fellows grows until in the best society laws are made and obeyed by most citizens not from a sense of fear of punishment 
but mainly out of good will to others. A sense of justice prevails, and the sanction of law becomes not so much fear of the penalty imposed as the moral and religious sense of the individual and of society. Why, for example, do you obey the law against stealing? End of chapter 17 Recording by Selena Arter